The message you're about to listen to was recorded live from the Kingdom Citizens Pavilion, Joss. I want to continue our study in the book of, is it Ruth or Esther? Okay, Ruth. Ruth means a friend. And not just a friend, a covenant friend. A committed friend. The point we've been trying to make in this is that this is not the story of Ruth. Right? This is the story of God told through the characters in this book. We are going to see today that even in the human characters, Ruth is not the most important. So what we're saying here is that if God were to put himself into you, live your experiences, go where you go, do what you do, will God still be God? Can God tell his story through your life? The experiences you have, will God share it? If God is you, will he still be God? This is the real issue that we have with Ruth. And that's why I started this way. Say, hi, my name is Ruth. I say, her name is Ruth, but the day that Ruth lived in was like a ruthless world. And when you say something is ruthless, it might not have anything to do with Ruth anyway. But to be ruthless means these are very uncomfortable times, right? These are dangerous times. Because when you look at the village or the city, the country where Ruth comes from, it's a, you know, it's a country that has a, you know, judgment hanging on it because of history. And because it's history, due to no fault of those living in that day, they were under the curse of that history. And he said, this is my story. But I said, Ruth was going to say that. And he said, by the time you really look at it, this is not really my story. This is the story of God. Right? So we're, we're seeking to becoming a Ruth church. And we're, we want to be a Ruth church because what we learn from the story of Ruth or the story of God in this book is that God is looking for those who will not just go so far with him, but who will go all the way. The life Jesus molded, which many call Christianity today, which many call church today and all those kind of things, it was a life lived in an extreme kind of version. Jesus went all the way. His obedience was complete. So how do we become Ruth? In a world where this faith has been reduced to something that is just convenient. What's happening in church today is horrible. In what they call church. There's Boaz. Because we looked last week at Elimelech, Naomi, Opa, Ruth, right? And then we're looking at Boaz. But that's another character we're going to meet later in the story. And that character has no name. This journey that this, this family embarked upon, it was a journey to what I call governance. Because that's what the church is supposed to be on earth. The church is supposed to be the executive arm of God's government. As pertaining to issues of the earth, the church is supposed to be the executive arm. Whatever God legislates in heaven, the church is supposed to execute it on earth. And that's why I said over the years we've, we've been totally, and I've been saying this everywhere I go, especially for Africa. This is a time for us to really decide 
What kind of Christianity do we want to practice? The one from Europe or the one in the Bible? It's the one from Europe that they tell you that you are getting saved now you can go to heaven. The reason you want to go to heaven is that so that they might get your oil when you are looking up to heaven. You want to go to heaven, why do you need the oil? Yeah. That's not in the Bible. The Bible, the story of God in the Bible is not a story of life after death. It's life after life after death. The story of the Bible is the interconnection of heaven and earth. The story of the Bible is the story of the temple. And the temple in the Bible is the place where God and humans meet. That temple today is not this kind of room. It's this one. Your life, your daily experience should be one of heaven and earth meeting. And that's the only way where we can actually overcome this Christianity that is just in name. The word they call nominal Christianity. The difference was clear when we got saved early 90s. When they call someone a nominal Christian, we were not ashamed to call people so. Because they are just nominal. They are just Christian in name. They are just Christian in bumper sticker. They are just Christian by association with the local church. It's not in content, it's not in character. If church is really church, it will be a reference point for all that is good and God. Society will look to the church for direction. Because they suddenly discover, remember when I started a campus fellowship in the University of Georgia here, G4, this was the mandate. This school, if anyone is having the best of CGPs, it must be you. Right? It must be you. One thing we want to use to create a distinction here is that if you are in GeForce, you are top of your grades. And that was where I got those kind of coinage. If the Holy Spirit writes your paper, what will be his grade? And if you truly have the Holy Spirit, you won't be missing classes. Right? You will study hard. You see, no one is born dull. If it's not even working, maybe you suddenly have a revelation. Maybe I'm not even supposed to be here in the first place. Yeah, because a lot of people in universities, they don't have any business being there. They're just victims of a terrible narrative. It's not compulsory you go to a university. <laughs> That's the truth. But many are victims of that. If the church is rich, those things will be clear. Remember the realities of this? It's not the story of Ruth. It's just a phase in the unfolding story of God. It's just illustrating a certain aspect of the story. It's also telling individual stories within the unfolding story. It happened in the days of Judges. That was when the events in the, that we read about in the book of Ruth actually happened. And we look at this overview. Today our focus is on Boaz. But we said that Ruth is like you and I. Ruth was born, raised in an atmosphere such as this. In a situation where a policeman will come and say, I will kill you and nothing will come out of it. It's a common phrase, right? I will deal with you and nothing will come. They are telling us it's a lawless society. Right? Lawless. 
the law in front of us that says that, it's telling you we live in the days of judges where there are no kings and everybody does, right? Because sometimes we can't read the scriptures into such sentences because they've done it many times and nothing came out of it, right? But when I read, I read it further. If there has been a church in the 80s who pick up a body, I want to raise young people here and give them a direction, right? That want to take over the police force. So we're going to have believers there with biblical values, right? Even if we have a name that is as worse, that is worse than SARS, they will serve, right? Everywhere you see chaos, if you are truly a follower of Christ, you take responsibility. That's because we went to sleep. But Ruth lived in that kind of day. He didn't follow the pattern, the normal thing, when everybody did what was right in their own side. She sought the king and found a place in God's story. Fulfillment in life is you living a life where you can locate yourself within the unfolding story of God. He asked the God, that's what I have. He said, I have a big plan for the world and I want to give you a slice of it. You see, that dream is coming to pass. That dream is coming to pass and nothing is as exciting as that. I have my Joseph moments where what he said is becoming an experience. Please don't ever miss it. Don't rob yourself of that. What did he say? As we're going to hear today. So, mentality that will shape you. A reality need to dawn on you for your mind to be really shaped. We live as Genesis 1 people. What does that mean? The man God created, Adam, perfect, in absolute union with God and in dominion over the earth, right? But something happened. I had to live in the Genesis 3 world. What is the Genesis 3 world? Where that man has become corrupted. So when we get saved, we are like the Genesis 1 people, right? But we live in a world that's fallen. How do we bring Genesis 1, right, into Genesis 3? That's the challenge. Ruth chose to become a Genesis 1 person. But we had to live in the Genesis 3 world. You might be living in a Genesis 3 world, but never forget you're a Genesis 1 person. The reason you have the Holy Spirit is because you live in an unholy world. You need the Holy Spirit to live victoriously, right? In an unholy world. You need a godly heart to live victoriously in an ungodly world. God and godliness will never become popular. That would be unbiblical. And everybody's kind of saying their own thing now. You know, what I've seen in the last two, three weeks has really, really given me a lot of burden for Nigeria, particularly. I've never seen a generation of people who are so concerned about what is not their business. I heard of a man in the East who had a demonstration for Trump. That's mental illness. Please don't laugh. What's your business? How many of you heard that Jerry Rollins died? People are still talking about Trump. My memory of that guy, my wife and I traveled to Ghana in 2005, and the cab stopped in front of the house, and the driver pointed and said, that's Jerry Rollins' house, right on the road. 
was living inside a cave or a rock. Right on the road. So that's Jerry Rollins' house. Somebody was talking about him this, this week on, on telly. He said, my, the last time I met Jerry Rollins, he came to phase two. You know phase two in Lagos? It was a nightclub. It's an African. Right? Stories are that when you go to his office and you're an African and there are Asians and Europeans there, you, the African, come in first. Then next, the Asians. <laughs> The Westerners will wait. Nobody wrote about that. We don't care about our history. We're doing NSAR. There's a man in Zamfara State mining gold illegally. And my own governor can't, you know, process our oil. That's not your problem. You are talking about somebody came to my house and said, who are you supporting? Biden or Trump? I said, you don't even know the name. You think it's Abide me, right? Biden or Trump? I said, you see, do whatever you want to do and get out of here. So we looked at these three churches. We said they are not just named. They are types of believers. Opa, Ruth, and Naomi. There are three churches. They exist under the same spiritual realities. But their responses or reactions to their environment determine what they became. How the will of God played out in their lives. Where you live is the same place that others who are living this life are living. The same challenges you face. Say there is no temptation that has come against that is not what common to man, right? So you are not going to have an excuse. He said the upper church is immature, spineless. He was excited when he had the message that we're going back to Bethlehem. God has visited with bread. When the realities, the details of that trip dawned on her, she picked another vision. Ruth committed in spite of the daunting opposition. She stayed the course. Naomi never denied him. Even with wrong leadership. He was offered providence. He was called to steward grace. It's a type of church in need of repentance. And Ruth said, if I am Ruth, if I became God's will, you have no excuse. If some people are still practicing the faith according to design today, you have no excuse. You can't blame the church because a lot of people take solace in that. The church is bad. So I can't be... No, 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 no. It's not all part of the church that's bad. The moment you begin to become victim of that, you are already living a life of comfort. A life of excuse. I told you those who work with me, no, don't tell me. Sorry. Sorry is an excuse for failure. Don't tell me sorry. Leave sorry. When you are really sorry, you change what you just did wrong. Because I'm sorry, sir. You, you just continue in the same wrong direction. You know, some people have sorry. It's like, it's always in their pocket. Once you send it, you just bring it out. It, it never finishes. You just dole it out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't like sorry. So I don't like saying sorry. If I have to say sorry, it's always painful. How did I get there? This life journey will question you. Opa, Ruth, why are you following Naomi? What did you hear? Opa left. Ruth and Naomi continued the journey. Ruth had this four food life hurdles. Economic. She was poor. 
Her only hope was Naomi, who was also what? A destitute. <laughs> he had a spiritual challenge. She was from Moab due to no fault of hers. A lot of you might have been born in a certain kind of family. You got born again in a kind of church. You had some background that was totally outside of your control, right? Ruth was like that. Social. She was a widow. I had a student years ago. You know, she's an Ethiopian. She's divorced. In Ethiopia, that's like a crime. You don't exist. You stand no chance in society. Nobody even has of the man. Divorced with two boys. She faced that rejection everywhere she goes because in that culture, a man defines the woman. But I said the culture can say whatever they want to say. You say what you want to say. And at this time, this lady works in the African Union. She actually works in the Secretariat, the set of wives of, you know, head of states of Africa. I said, did they ask you whether you are divorced before they gave you this job? <laughs> You're qualified, right? You're qualified. What will you allow yourself to be defined by? So Ruth had a questionable marriage because the Moabite married a Jew, right? Questionable. No male authority. Then historic was a descendant of Lot. By the time she looked into her history, to her heritage, the great-grandfather slept with this daughter. Right? He came from that lineage. You don't want to say it. Right? That my great-grandfather is Lord. Ah, ah. So, <laughs> you, bring, you bring her home to marry. They say, what family does he come from? Mention the name. Eh? It's a taboo. These are the things that are facing Ruth. The Naomi church is a church in need of Repentance. Repentance is not just from sin. You see, when you repent, repentance is actually going back to the point where you veered off. That's what repentance is. Repentance is recognizing where you veered off and you go back there and take the right course. It's a conscious return, a conscious commitment or recommitment to the will of God. Submit to the process because there are some journeys, there are some routes that lead nowhere. You repent when you discover where, I'm, where I want to go, where I am won't lead there. And then you have a turn. Today's church needs repentance. That my brother that came was giving me the story of how, you know, he said the making of that freeze. Right? So that the freeze was in church. Started asking questions that the church could no longer answer. And he went to Bible school. And he discovered that most of the things he had in church were lies. And he came back to declare war on the church. He's still reactive. He's wrong. Right? He's wrong. <laughs> He's wrong. Because you, can't, you don't declare war on your family, you know, right in the public glare. So the journey will test, the journey will question. Why are you still here? I would 
ask that question for the rest of the life of this church. I will keep poking that particular question. Why do you still come here? What are you looking for? How far are you willing to go? This is not just a church where we just want to gather on Sunday. If it's just Sunday, 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 we will be more than this. I know how to do it. I've done it before. The journey is filled with uncertainties. One of the early times when I raised money, I think when I said, if you give to this cause, I'm not promising you God will give you money back. I'm not promising you because I can't guarantee it. <laughs> I can't lie to you. How, did he tell me he was going to give you money? I said, what we need, we want to build this thing. If you give, I'm not promising God will give you money. That's not in my control. So that the day you don't have it because I've had the story before. Somebody donated a Rolex watch to a, to a pastor, Rick Godwin. And the man was waiting for a promise and he, go, he called the man. I didn't say, please return my watch. <laughs> it was not me said that told the story. He said it was very painful because he liked the watch. Right? But I had to call UPS to come and do a pickup. <laughs> please send the address. Send return. <laughs> Send return address. I want my wristwatch back. I thought I was going to get something. He said, I returned return the watch. The church is promising people what God has not promised. Real love, when you give, you are not expecting anything. The reward of giving in love is giving. The opportunity to give. Because you suddenly discover what I gave, he gave me first. Naomi promised nothing. All she could say is, I heard no proof, right? That God has visited with bread. I've not even seen the bread. I can't smell the, you know, the bakery. She has not seen it. So it's a journey to governance. It's a journey to the will of God. It's a journey that will make you seek and position yourself in God's unfolding story. Fulfillment in life is being part of what God is doing on the faith. Nothing compares. You knowing that what I'm doing is part of what God is doing on the face of, oh my goodness, failure will have value. Success will have meaning. Setback, we have value. Everything works. This journey is not mindless. It has a defined and certain end. And we have to know this is a problem we've had in church. The gospel we preach is a, is a gospel that, that defines an end that's non-biblical. This end is not a place. The end is a person called Boaz. Any of the characters in this story that never met Boaz, they dropped out. Regardless of the state of these three churches, the, childish, the childlessness, I mean the childishness of Opa, the tenacity of Ruth, the repentance of Naomi, if it never leads to Boaz, it amounts to nothing. Who is Boaz? 
The relationship that we have with Boaz is what gives meaning. The one that never met him like Opa was never heard of again. The one who knew Boaz just as a kinsman redeemer, but strategically connected with him, he got a place in inheritance. We're talking about Naomi. The one who married Boaz is the one that got inheritance. So you can choose. Opa, drop out. Never even heard of Boaz because she didn't wait long enough. Naomi knew Boaz, but familiarity led to a lot of, she couldn't go all the way. The one who married Boaz is the one that God inherited. Is the one that found herself in the lineage of Christ. So who's Boaz? Bible said that was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Look at it in the Amplified of the message. It so happened. You see, this thing kept happening in the book of Ruth, and that's what we call providence. It didn't just happen. It was pre-planned. It happened that Naomi had a relative by marriage, a man prominent and rich, connected with Elimelech, his name. It's Boaz. Described as a man of great wealth. And that's what the will of God is. The most valuable wealth on earth is the revelation of the will of God. What's the, what's, you see, when you hear the will of God, don't, don't go biblical first, go dictionary. What's a will? A will is something written by someone who just passed on. Poor people don't write will. <laughs> right? You don't have anything you are writing with, right? That's why the Bible is called a testament. When someone dies without a will, they say the man dies in test state. Right? The will of God is what is revealed here. It's the most prized asset. The will of God is treasure of great value, a pearl of great price that is worth selling all, right? To acquire. Nothing on that compares to the will of God is what gives meaning to every activity here. The man Boaz, his name means in him that is in Lord is strength. Or he who comes in strength. That's the meaning of Boaz. It also means swiftness or quick or sharp. And that's what's described in Hebrews 4. The word of God. The word of God is the word. Boaz represents the word of God. Is the type of Christ. Name is also used to describe the ego, which is always symbolic of God. Denote strength and support. The name also appears in, you know, in 2 Chronicles, or is it 1 Chronicles? 2 Chronicles 3 from 10 in Solomon's temple. In the most holy place, he made two cherubim, fashioned by carving overlaid with gold. Then he set up pillars before the temple on the right hand and on the left. He called the name of the one on the right hand, Jackin, and the name of the one on the left what? Boaz. These two supporting pillars is needed for the temple to stand. We can only be established by the will of God. Without the will of God, without you. You see, the the issue in life is the issue of will. Whatever you do in life must be located within the will of God. Because you are a slice of the will of God. 
And that's what, that's my burden today for the one they call millennials. Because everybody is just on the frolic of their own. There's an upsurge of I. I. Of me. People just want to do what is right in their eyes. So the most important character in this book is not Ruth, it's Boaz. Boaz is described as kinsman redeemer. That's the title of Christ. The one we need to be part of. That was what Jesus was trying to tell Peter. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. I need to wash your feet so you walk the way I walk. I have spoken to you for three years. You have it in your mind. You now need to walk it out. I need to wash your feet. So Boaz is symbolic of the will of God that we need to marry. To be bound to. To be covenanted to. Before we can have any level, any measure of influence. Selling a new staff this this week that we're hearing, I said, working here is like marriage. You have to marry it. Because a lot of things in a marriage can't be taught. It has to be caught. Everything you know about your spouse is not written in any book. It comes by living together, right? It's not theory. It's not intellectual. It's not academic. That's the that's walking with God. The journey to Boaz was adventurous. Signaled, first of all, by the sound of the Spirit. A sound from the Spirit. Naomi heard there was a voice, there was a sound, and she followed. The Bible says, in this day when you hear his voice, right? Do not harden your heart. That Johnny asked for that question. Did you hear the sound? Since you've been here, what have you heard? What's your response to the sound? Paul said the thing I spoke to, did you hear a man? Or did you believe that the word I spoke to you, they are the very word of God? Three churches had the Lord's visitation. That he's speaking again. He's visited his people again and they set out. The voice comes many times at critical moments, but many don't hear it. Look at Jesus on the brink of Gethsemane. Say, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by, please don't be a bystander. They stood by, this is what God said, I, will, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Look at what they heard. He just thundered. It wasn't Jesus that wrote this, right? Who wrote it? John. That means John heard what Jesus heard. Some other guys heard what Jesus heard. But the bystanders did what? Because sometimes you sit in a sermon and you're wondering, that's what he's talking about. He's referring to that person. No, it isn't. It, people are hearing what? Different things. Or what was he trying to say? 
He started to make me do something. No, no, no. He interpreted. They heard thunder. Every time I preached this at the beginning, I said, this is where the Yoruba people were. They worshipped Shongo. This is where Shongo worshipped started from. They thought it was from God. Your forefathers. <laughs> the man agreed. <laughs> because revelation separates men from boys. Revelation separates and produces different responses. They heard and they lifted their voices and wept again. And Opa left and Ruth clung to her. Question. What happened between that verse 10 and 14? Between Naomi's announcement and the separation, they were confronted by the details of the journey. Remember Naomi said, hey, look at my age, look at your age. The details were given and it gave rise to a clash of wheels. Opa never knew the possibility of a man that is the most eligible bachelor in town. You know, Boaz was never married. Right? But she heard a literal word spoken by Naomi. I will have to marry and give birth, right? And the child will grow and then you will not marry. But that was a reality that was ready. Right? Boaz. Wealthy. I mean, what else will a woman want? Wealthy, not yet married, unattached, eligible bachelor, right? Has estate, many members of staff, doesn't even know their names, right? Flourishing business, and the guy is single, wears tight jeans, even if it's 45 or 50, right? The guy comes around, still single, <laughs> and not that they're looking for a wife. You get four here now. When details are revealed, your will will come up. What's in it for me? But if you have the heart of Christ, what can I be part of? When we started this church, when you come for a membership class, there's an assignment. The final assignment. The title is what? My will versus God's will. Yeah, remember? That's the assignment. My will versus God's will. You see, I've not changed. It might not come in those certain words again, but I've not changed. Everything God said at the beginning, like I said this morning, will be done. He's just waiting for someone who will submit his will. This is M4 reloaded. Right? I can cancel it tomorrow if there's no vessel. We'll remove that. You can use the board, beautiful board, right? Use it somewhere else. But the moment a heart comes, the resources will come. The moment there's someone willing, the resources will come. As I stand here, this studio is fully furnished. Fully furnished. Because I saw a young man said, this is what I want to live for. That's what I had. I hope we had ourselves right. The day you say you are not doing it again, we'll pack it up and we'll wait. You know what? I have time. <laughs> That's why we don't want people coming here and walking out. You don't belong. Are you connected? Are you covenanted? Why is your point of connection?
Please don't visit us. We don't want visitors. I'm not saying you can't come when you are passing by town. But that's not what I mean. But coming here every Sunday and you're just on the fringes. We'll greet you. We'll shake your hands. You'll eat cake when it's first Sunday, right? But you can even join new guests every Sunday. You, they'll give you a drink. But that's not what we are for. When those two things come, heaven will hush to see which one wins. Your will or God's will. God won't remove your will. No, he won't. Divine will and self-will. There are assumptions there. It's known to many but practiced by few. For many, they are not ignorant of it. Right? Only few, because it comes at a sacrifice. What is it that you are so convinced about about your life that God can't talk you out of? It's not right for you. I spoke this morning about expectations. Make sure the expectations you have of life is from God. Is not the one you created yourself. Ruth had no expectations. God designed number one assumption and an intention for human assumes that the divine right must be dominant. You are to give your life to Christ, right? Remember the way we summarize salvation. Jesus Christ did it first. He gave his life for you. And the purpose is that what? He might take your life from you. Right? So that you become a conduit for him to live his life. If that's not your understanding of this faith, you have entered one chance. You know one chance? Oh, okay, so it's only in Lagos. You know one chance. Did they do one chance there? Eh? Oh, you know one chance? A trip that's going nowhere. <laughs> if his will is not done, if what you are doing, I've used that scripture to explain this many times. Say, God will grant me the desires of my heart. I said, no, read it from the beginning. Delight yourself in the Lord and then. God granting you your desires of a heart, he has a condition. When you delight yourself in him, that's when your will and his will marry. Right? And when they marry, his will is in dominance. Your will becomes a conduit. Remember what I said about God's best kept secret. He gives you a will, but he never wants you to use it independently of him. Number two, it assumes that the created purpose of human is to hear and obey him. is to hear and obey him. Number three, humans exist just to do, not just to do what they feel. You are not permitted to do what you like. That's kingdom life. Church is where everybody does do whatever they like. But in a kingdom, a kingdom community is a place where people come and they are taught not to live as they like, but live by God's design. Receive instructions for life. 
that we enable them to do divine will. Self-will is only relevant when it's within the context of the kingdom of God as a means of fulfilling divine will. The day this truth develops legs and begins to walk, you will see the chaos on earth. Anywhere you see problem on earth is human will. It's human will. It's human will that we write a constitution. It's human will that we deceive and say democracy is the most effective way of, 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 of arranging human life. It, it is greatest fraud in the history of mankind. Democracy. Government of the people, right? By the people, it's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible. When I read that thing about the American Constitution, I was... I was flabbergasted. Flabbergasted means you are flabbergasted and overwhelmed. That until the man defeated, give a consent or concede defeat, the victory is not legitimate. Can you imagine that? The person who wrote that is evil. Because I can easily hold everybody to ransom. But you can say the man believed that, you know, human beings will act responsibly. Now, again, what if it was actually a fraud? I should just concede. That's God didn't write that. That's why I agree with fella. Democracy means demons are crazy. <laughs> it means crazy demonstration. Demonstration of crazy, whatever way. But there are demons and there's craziness. When you add those two together, you see democracy. And Africans are doing copy and paste. Are doing copy and paste. Our, our evolving democracy. I've seen how so ignorant of our history young people are. The young man that interviewed me yesterday on YouTube, I told him, I said, do you know that in the early 60s when we got our independence, the eastern region had a consulate in the UK. The western region had their own consulate. The northern region had their own. Is that really? I said, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because they were autonomous, right? We never, we didn't rewrite it. Somebody sat somewhere and said, this is the way I'm going to do it. And just join us together. Even with the amalgamation, there was still autonomy. And he said, well, if it is good, how about Operation Wedge? Yeah, the man who knows history loved that guy. He said, let me, let me educate you. Wedge yeah, happened in the Southwest because of external influence. Self-will is the greatest enemy to the advancement of divine will. And when divine will doesn't advance on earth, everybody is a victim. All three churches part the test of hearing. Only two part the test of hearing and obeying. That disconnect is satanic. What is it that made Satan fall? I will. Right? You know he never said it. Right? He said, you have what? Look at it. You have said in your heart. <laughs> he never executed it. It was a thought. Satan didn't really plan a coup, right? <laughs> he was a thought. And God nipped it in the bud. 
It's just, how many things have you said that you think God didn't hear? Remember the man who got a high dose of wisdom? Solomon. It wasn't the day he asked that he asked. Right? Because when he said, I want a wise and discerning heart, God said what? Because this was in your heart. Right? This was in your heart. It wasn't the day Adam called the elephant, elephant. That was on the day they were named. He said, whatever Adam called them, that, name, that was their name. Do you live an I will life? Is your life yours? You are still in the days of judges. If Ruth passed the test of the days of judges, you don't have it. You don't have an excuse. You can't say that's what everybody is doing. The true task of humans is to adopt the spirit of martyrdom. That's the scripture many Pentecostals quote and they don't know the meaning. It's testimony time. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Right? And by the word of their testimony. And somebody will come out. Put one leg forward. I have a testimony. The word testimony there is martyrdom. By the word of their testimony and the put full stop. He continues explaining, loving not their lives, right? He didn't end there. Unto death. That's it. If you follow Jesus, you will end where he ended. And Jesus didn't end at the cross. Where did he end? Huh? At the resurrection. He started the new life. Right? But you can't bypass the cross. Martyrdom is exercising your free will. Unconditionally rejecting the right to choose. Like Esther did. Esther, choose your makeup kit. Is there no I want? You give me what you think the king will like. And she won the, you know, the beauty pageant. The only divinely approved use of the human will is the acceptance of divine will, regardless of how inconvenient. Known to many, if I many talk about it. You know, I told you when I got to this city, I was passing with a lot of young people. When you say you've gotten somebody to marry, you say, I found my will of God. Please meet my will of God. Say, eh? That's what you call girlfriend, does this. It's my will of God. Why are you laughing? Is that not what you call your own truth? Oh, okay. You are not part of those people. Okay. <laughs> because that's what they say, my will of God. It, and isn't it, you see, it's so true. Right? Your spouse should be the will of God for you. Your job should be the will of God for you. Right? Where you live should be the will of God for you. So let this man live which was also in Christ Jesus. Who been in the form of God. This is what made him Lord. That he did not demand his rights. You know we had that over the years in this church. Known to many practiced by faith. And they got back home in Bethlehem. So Naomi returned. You know. And they came. The moment they believed, the moment they connected with God, providence kicked in. 
and you begin to see that 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 which they can't do God started doing they returned they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest that's so symbolic because the time of harvest in the Jewish culture is much more than our Greek season it has spiritual implications the time of harvest is a time when you can jump start harvest is the time of separation normally the wheat from the chaff it's a season of grace, a time when many are ready to receive the gospel of repentance and alignment, where things more put on their true color. Before harvest, the wheat and the tears are together. At the time of harvest, it's separated. Jeremiah said the harvest is part, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Why? He said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. Said, Are there still not four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I said, lift up your eyes and look at the field, for they are ready, they are wide for harvest. Harvest is a time of separation. It's a time when a window opens for you to put things right. That's when they came. And as the harvest is also coming, at the end of the season, the Lord says, the harvest is what? It's the end of the age. It's time when everything that has been sown, both good and evil in man, will begin to... It's a fruit season. It's a time also of what? New beginnings. This is what providence offered Naomi and Ruth. What's their response? Naomi met Boaz. Boaz is not unknown to Naomi. He was a family member. I'm very sure they've met. I'm very sure they've spoken. Introduced as Naomi's, you know, maybe brother-in-law or cousin-in-law or something like that. Which gives her the privilege in that culture of marrying Boaz. Right? Naomi should have married Boaz. Because she had the opportunity of a new beginning, but she refused to embrace it. Her old glory might have been responsible. She put the blame, the blame of her predicament on God. Say, see what God has done to me. I went away full. She lied. <laughs> you do read the story. Say, I went away full. I'm back empty. She lied. What sent her away? Famine. See, the easiest person to blame for your political I mean, is who? But because you can't see God, right? So the one closest to God around you, that is somebody like me who gives you the instruction from God. I'm responsible. Yeah. <laughs> Says God. God brought you left. <laughs> you were hungry. You said you went away full. That's what Israelites said. He said, when we were in Egypt, we were eating salad. Right? We had, you know, they were slaves. They were whining. They said, when we were in Egypt, we were, in Egypt, we were eating the garlic, we were eating, you know, they were doing a focus meal. You know, well, really? That's the way some of us still are. I've said it before. 
Honestly, if I didn't give my life to Christ, my life is better than this. <laughs> right? Remember your friend, Chile? Let this God, Tibayim, eh? This God has destroyed my life. Honestly, there are times when you say that, you're really correct. Because you look around you and honestly. I've told my wife that before. If we are not Christian, we'll fix this problem ourselves. Right? We'll fix it. But there are things we can't do. The love of Christ constrains. Remember that guy that's threatened uh, Dr. Onuzo? Say, sir, I've been praying, no? I've been praying. God bring this brother. Bring. <laughs> if I go and buy an amulet, don't blame me, oh. Don't blame me. Because some believers are coming, they are coming, they are coming. If I marry an believer, don't blame me. Say, what, what's my own? <laughs> I've been praying for this brother, brother, he's not coming. Don't blame me. Nobody's going to blame you. It's your life. Even God won't. Naomi is like a victim of the old glory syndrome. But I can't go down there. Right? Social, spiritual status is preventing many today. There are some who stayed glued to a church they know is dead. But because they still have some relevance there. Right? They are still called pastor, apostle, prophet, father in the Lord, brother on the street, area boy or area father or whatever. They stay there. The Naomi church is symbolic of the church. I've seen the great moves of God. But you see, what keeps you going in God? Whatever you've seen, tell yourself there's more. There's more. There's more. There's more. Many believe, my way, we've seen it all. Guys, just excited. What's the reality? Now, we should have married boys. Right? You should have married because the custom permits it. Because at the end of the story, you discover that she had to give it. Right? Next week, we look at Boaz and Ruth. Right? But you see, is that something you need to do today? Is there a window of grace open to you to make a switch? You say, when? Today, when? When? Today, when you hear his voice, right? Not tomorrow, not yesterday. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Is there anything, please, by the is there anything that you feel God will have you fix? Just like Naomi, this message gives an opportunity. It's a window of grace. The story that originally comes to mind is that of Esau. Esau was online. When we recite the patriarchs today, it should have been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Esau missed that moment because he was hungry. He couldn't wait. He allowed emotions, blood flow, something emotional to cloud his spiritual sense of joy. And Bible says he came back after, seeking that particular inheritance. And there was no place of repentance, even though he sought it with tears. Can I announce again 
And I thank God for parents who are here and your children are here. This KCP is not church as usual. What is said at the beginning is still committed to it. There is a lifestyle that fits the bill. There's a practice that fits the bill. There's a value system that fits the bill. And that's what we put on display every time that we're asking you, buy into this. Sign up for this. This is not a place where individual will, individual pursuit will, it will always hit a brick wall. Whatever you do must connect with something bigger than you. Let me focus on Naomi. The window of opportunity was open to Naomi. God went full circle. Full circle. By the time we finish the story, you will discover that you will see Naomi got blessings. But her name didn't appear in the genealogy. It's okay. But are you okay with just okay? What's your marks obtained compared with marks that's obtainable? I started this whole message this morning with a call for a rededication. Do you need to do that? Where did you step off? Naomi speaks of a life in need of repentance. Repentance is not, I'm sorry. Go back to the point. The things which are written, if Naomi had the book of Ruth to read, her decision would be different. Her decision would be different. What is it that that decision you need to make at this time? Where is your will and the will of God colliding, contesting? Where are you struggling? Remember, Jacob wrestled all night. When God gave him the, the, the verdict to say, you fought with man and God and you have to do Remember, if you fight God, you win. He will let you win. He will let you have your way. What are you doing with this faith? Is it symbolic of the 500 naira dropped in your account? Or does it have great value? I'm doing something that's biblical because... The writer of Proverbs said, when you seek the will of God, seek it the way you seek gold, the way you seek silver. And he followed that thought by saying, turn as my rebuke. Turn when I rebuke and I will pour my spirit upon you. What is it? What that step that will bring you to proper alignment? That will make you find your bearing. Let's make the most of this moment. The writer of Hebrews said, there is a rest that is promised to people. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. 
Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And in verse 12, it defined, it described Boaz. For the word of God is living, powerful, sharper on any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him that we must give account. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your father tested me, tried me, saw my works 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my way, so I swore in my wrath. They will not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest any of you of an evil heart of unbelieving, departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Because we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the very end, like Ruth. While it is said today, repeating it, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the What are you taking away today? Why are you following me? Now we got to a point where everything just hold up together and the, and the past wiped away. She never went out to work as we're going to see next week. But the only work, the only job available for her was to, come and, to go and glean. And I won't do that. That's beneath me. But Ruth had nothing to, had nothing to lose. As you go into this week, what are you going to do differently? When your will and the will of God collide this way, what's going to be the outcome? Will you even be sensitive enough to know that this is my will, this is God's will? Kingdom Citizens Pavilion is a present truth apostolic community located in just north central Nigeria. We have a mandate from God to build a people of influence who will impact their respective areas of presence with godly values. Thanks for hanging out with us. For inquiries, kindly visit our page at Kingdom Citizens Pavilion on Facebook and Instagram or call 080-54-31-5476 We are looking forward to hanging out with you next time.